Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCourt, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. How are you doing after our previous mammoth episode? I'm just sitting here watching the downloads go round and round. Well, I do love to watch them roll. They are going rather well. Thank you for everyone who's choosing to listen to this. Uh, it's been lovely to see our numbers go up a little bit. So so thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, um, we're recording this on the 1st of July. It probably won't go out until maybe the end of July, I think. Um, not that we've actually said what the episode's about. Um, but we've just had our best month um, in in June, and it's um, it's very very good to see. And um, thank you very much. Been looking at all the different places that we've had people download, and assuming that they are downloading and also listening, it really is quite an amazing um, range um, across the planet. Um, so thank you very much. And um, if I could pronounce some of the Canadian provinces um, where we haven't actually had anyone download an episode, then then I would name and shame them. Um, but um, I can't, so I won't. And we have been making charts as well, um, which is <laughs> yes. quite interesting. We, we, we get excited about these things, but you need to bear in mind, dear listener, that, that you know all this is really is just me um, looking at JG on a computer screen and us talking to each other. So the fact that there are actually some people out there who not only are listening, but continuing to listen and hopefully also maybe encouraging one or two others um is brilliant so thank you very much for sticking with us um and we've been at this nearly two years now and i suspect that means there's probably about another five years to go excellent well i mean i would go so far as to use the word heartening in terms of our listenership and downloads it's it's been heartening to see and uh if you have another few years ahead of us well who knows where the numbers will go um upward would be generally appreciated uh but before we uh before we try and talk ourselves into yet more charts um i suppose we should probably crack on and talk about the thing that we're actually meant to be talking about which this week is uh long tail sally uh, not just the song but indeed the entire lp now um we know we're doing this slight out of sequence. We know it was technically released. Well, not technically released, actually released um, <laughs> before our days died. Um, but that's just the kind of care and attention that I would imagine that our many listeners, both here and around the world, have uh, come to expect from us. <laughs> well then, I think you're overplaying your hands slightly there. Possibly. But there you go. Yeah, and also we, we're changing the format as well. And you'll find out why when you, you gauge our, our enthusiasm levels. Um, but we're actually talking about all four tracks on the EP um, over the course of this episode. Um, because there's an, there's an element of this feeling slightly like a throwaway product. And by that, I'm talking about the EP itself not this podcast, which of course is of the highest possible quality at all times. But there is a feeling that there were these tracks, they wanted to put something out um, in in order to kind of keep the, the audience ticking over. And fine, let's let's put out these four tracks. Because what we've got are, are four tracks that are recorded at various points in, in the Hard Day's Night album uh, sessions. And in fact, um, We've got the last two tracks recorded in the February-March sessions, 1st of March um, for I Call Your Name and Long Talk Sally. And then in between, in the middle of April, they record the um, the title track, A Hard Day's Night. Everyone's then on holiday after the film's been made. And on the 1st of June, 
they return and they record Slowdown and Matchbox almost as the first songs on their return in order to try and fill up the rest of a hard day's night. And so it's noticeable that you've got some songs that perhaps sound a little bit tired. But the other thing that I think is 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 interesting from my point of view is that we've got lots of nods to the past and to, in a sense, you know, some classic rock. Um, I don't mean classic rock in the 70s sense, folks, but, you know, bear in mind 1964, you know, we've got, um, you know, Larry Williams, Carl Perkins and, and Little Richard songs. And we've also got one of the earlier songs written by John Lennon that's already been recorded by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. Um, so it's it's kind of harking back at a point when the Beatles really should have been looking forward. But then perhaps that's why, again, in my view, everything sounds so tired. But I've got a question for you, JG. Ask away. Do you do you like these, um, you know, initial rock and roll songs? In general, I mean, not just the three on here. How do you feel about the whole sort of Chuck Berry, Little Richard um kind of thing i don't i don't mind it but i can't say it's something i'm i'm passionate about uh, particularly what i tend to be more about is like individual songs rather than sort of the runs of artists like um like i'm not an elvis fan but i think heartbreak hotel is an astounding song and you you know kind of be insane to suggest otherwise but i'm i'm not really an elvis fan if i have to listen to elvis like a couple of the the sun sessions that's fine um when it comes to something like uh uh little richard it's the same i think um tutti frutti is a great song i don't really have an awful lot of affection for that much else if i'm telling the truth so when it comes to a lot of these kind of early rock and roll songs I, i'm a bit of a magpie I, I'll, I'll pick and choose i do have a i do have like a sort of 50s rock and roll playlist on my uh mp3 streamer of choice um but it is it is mostly just like magpie stuff one track from here one track from there um which makes coming to this ep kind of interesting i think uh, given how early i uh, i call your name is uh it's it, it fits in very well with the other three songs we'll, we'll get to whether that's yeah. a good thing or not um but same question back to you how, how do you find those early songs i i mean the, I, I find them um you know um curiosities I, I think they're interesting you know progression uh, steps on on um the way to to things where people had discovered more about the art form you know early pioneers um that paved the way but i think that they are very much things that are stuck in their era and and if you were to um you know point me to to other sort of elements like that i would i would say the same thing so uh, to take a music example um I think early again, you know, it's, it's all about your own personal opinion. So I'm, I'm not sort of holding this up as as anything even remotely definitive. But I think early punk is really um, naive, and um, I think that much like the era of songs that that the Beatles were performing here, I think people um, are attached to them for emotional reasons. And, and almost then it's like liking a band when they're unpopular and then when the band becomes popular you go off them because I was there in the early days I think people like to be associated with the the early days of something to feel like they were there they were in the vanguard 
um, despite the fact that actually quality does improve quality of recording, quality of, of performance, quality of songwriting has improved and you know improves throughout you know the next 18 months of the Beatles life for example and and if, if you want to sort of take um, a slightly different example I think there are lots of people who, who might still hold up um, Robinson Crusoe as being one of the great examples of the early English language novels but they tend to be people who haven't read it or at least haven't read it in a long time or maybe have only seen an adaptation of it because trust me on this okay it's crushingly dull and actually there's a lot about the music of of that sort of period for me the 50s um that just has that kind of naive quality to it some people will love that that's great but it doesn't excite me as much as say for example what the Beatles are beginning to do and um you, you know, so you might look at, say, um, some of those early kink singles and think, actually, do you know what? They rock a lot more than, than some of these. But without them, would they have been as good? don't know. You know, you, you've got to leave that down to people's individual taste. My preference is for the things that have come out of them, um, because I think in most cases they have um, they have easily surpassed them. I wouldn't say there's anything from that sort of 50s through to early 60s period where I think it's a must for this particular playlist. That's fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's sort of archaeology in the non-Ruttles sense, um, digging into these these uh, little nuggets. I think it's one of the things that makes this uh, EP kind of such an interesting proposition because it does really feel, I think, particularly as it wears on, uh, like it's dredging up the past. <laughs> Sorry, I seem to have tipped my hand there. Uh, like it's kind of it's dredging up the past for a band that, even given that this, um, you know, predates uh, Hard Day's Night, but a band who have already moved so far beyond this. And yet, you know, Long Tall Sally is going to kick around until Candlestick Park in '66. So, you know, there's there's something to be um, dug into there. But I think we probably preambled enough. We we could probably actually talk about the the, the songs themselves now. Um, Oh great! So, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not an. So it's take, let's take them in order. Yeah, that's the that's way. That's fine. the way to do it. All so, right, go on then. Long um, tail Sally. So, um, well, hmm, yeah, okay. Um, I, in a previous episode, have been sort of you know reasonably critical about McCartney's screeching. Um, you know, when, when he screeches, it, it it kind of jars with me top of my head I can't remember the song but you know it's fine but actually I think his voice in this is by far um the best thing for me I think he really hits it and and you sort of get a sense that he's um enjoying himself um and and you know that's fine it allows him to show off and I suppose it does allow others in the band to show off as well because by heck, you, this song goes so quickly. Um, I don't I know how on earth it even makes it to two minutes because you're onto the second guitar solo by about 60, 65 seconds. There's, there really isn't much to this song at all. And then you just have to keep go back to the start. Let's go through it again. Um, which I suppose is the other thing, of course, with, with some of the, these early songs. There, there isn't that development. It's, it's all about the feel and the groove um, and the energy. 
and and you know for me that's that's okay but it starts to um what was it your your word where um um you know fairly quickly and even a short song can then start to feel quite long however i'm sure live it was a um you know a real um proposition and and got everyone going i I'm going to try and find a positive thing to say about each of these four tracks. And the positive thing I'm going to say about Long Tall Sally is is agreeing with what you said, which I think McCartney's vocal <laughs> on it is absolutely magnificent. That sounds lazy, but it, I mean, it's so true. It's such a good vocal performance. It's very hard to listen to that and not kind of get swept up in it. He really can deliver those moments. And yeah, like you said, I'm sure live, it was an absolutely great way of like ending the set. I'm, I, I'm sure... That's absolutely true. What works as a live number doesn't always necessarily translate onto vinyl, I think it's fair to say. But honestly, of the four songs that we're talking about in this episode, I think Long Tall Sally is probably the best of them. Uh, the, I, I quite like the idea of retitling the Long Tall Sally EP, the George Harrison can't nail a guitar solo variations um, because all, all four of them wobble left, right and centre. But at least in this one, there's a sense it's meant to. Um, and it's it's pretty it's pretty good. Uh, you know, everybody feels like they are trying to like up their game. The, the problem is, is that you can feel them trying to up the game. Whereas as uh, in general, and particularly in the album that we've just finished talking about, they, you don't need to feel it they just are um and that's kind of the qualitative difference you can tell they're having to work to put in the energy here mccartney pulls it off effortlessly as far as the vocal c is concerned the backing band if i may refer to the rest of them that way are are doing their best but they kind of get away with it on uh long tall sally and then for the remaining three tacks, it, it, it tracks, it becomes sort of diminishing returns. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just sort of looking at uh, McDonald talking about it, um, you know, he, he seems to sort of suggest the same. He talks about McCartney's mock hysterical vocal um, driving the track with, with blistering power. And I just sort of had this thought as well. I, I know I talk um, quite a bit about um, lyrics and lyrics not really being important. But... Um, they are, yeah, they, they tell a story, don't they? Um, long, tall Sally, she's built for speed. She got everything that Uncle John need, oh baby. Um, you know, having me some fun tonight. Um, we get a bald head Sally. Well, I saw Uncle John and bald head Sally. He saw Aunt Mary coming and he ducked in the back alley. Oh, baby. Oh, yeah. Having some fun tonight. It's a little bit on the the um, the brazen side. You know, so it's, it's another one of those where, you know, funnily enough, I'd, I'd not really bothered about the lyrics that much. And, and now that I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, I kind of wish I hadn't bothered. But there does seem to be something, and we'll come on to this when we talk about um slow down and, and larry williams there does seem to be this this penchant with some of these these kind of early um rock and roll lyrics to tell a story to have the name of a character um in the song title and to, to tell a story and particularly i suppose about um about some women so you know it's um 
Yeah, it's. I think it's funny, but I, I also think it's weird. I mean, you mentioned the fact that it was in um in the Beatles live repertoire, you know, right into to sixty six. Once you know they they've gone in completely different directions. Do you know whereabouts they would have it in the set list? Because it sounds to me like a a bit of a closer. It is. It's a set. It's a set list closer. I was thinking that, but the, the lyrics say, you know, we're going to have some fun tonight. It sort of feels a little bit like it should be at the start, like an introduction. And then you can sort of imagine that, that McCartney would, would sort of put it um, in the early part of a set now and go, well, you know, that song's all about having fun. Let's hope we have some fun tonight, everyone. Woo. Um, but obviously they, they weren't quite as, as polished as that, shall we say, back in the day. Um, but that's fine. That's fine. Um I just think that maybe see so what interests me is is that you have a 13 track album whereas the the previous two were 14 and this seems like the obvious song to put as as track 14 to follow you know money and twist and shout as the closer and and yet George Martin presumably looks at the the songs that they've got and thinks well you know what 13 songs written by Lennon McCartney plus this cover seems a bit odd and it's a bit more of a statement to have an entirely Lennon McCartney penned album let's not spoil that message um with with this because of the four tracks that we've got this is the one that I think this is the only one that could have gone on to a Hard Day's Night album um and to sort of to keep it in a sort of a similar vein to um, what they've done up till now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's definitely the only one that could really slot in. Um, I think if it comes to it, um, the decision to leave it off uh, Hard Day's Night, I think is the right one. Um, I think at this yeah. point, uh, Lennon and McCartney are simply better songwriters than this. Um, and that's not necessarily to suggest that I'm denigrating uh, Long Tall Sally in terms of the, the songwriting. I'm, I'm not. It's a well-written song, and that's fine. But they're just better than this at this point. They, they don't need to be relying on the props of other people's uh, material. And I know there's going to be other cover versions that we that we come across, but the, the fact of the matter is, it just, you know, A Hard Day's Night is a better song than this. Um you know, uh, She Loves You is a better song than this. There's just so much on that album that, you know, just surpasses it. So, yeah, not not only is it better just being a straightforward Lennon-McCartney album, it's just that the songwriting is, is better on it. And I think, yeah. again, that that comes becomes more and more clear as we go through uh, the other three songs as well. There's th- there's definitely none of them that that could stand to be on the album. And the the the, the sense that if it was going to be Long Tall Sally uh, that made it on, okay, fine. But yeah, it's redundant at this point. But then there's there's probably also a sense that uh, not so much that they're paying homage, but that they're. Um, I suppose paying their dues in the sense that you know that Richard um, I think released it in fifty six. Yeah, fifty six. Elvis does it fifty six as well. Pat Boone in fifty six. Carl Perkins fifty eight. Um, you know, and various other Eddie Cochran sixty two apparently. Um, you know, so there, there's there's almost that sense of um, well, you know, we've 
we we think that that you know we're we're sort of paying homage to these people or we think that we're up with these people therefore we need to do the kind of songs that they do as well um so you know and and that's fine that's absolutely fine you could sort of say the same applies to songs by say carl perkins although you know whether or not matchbox would have been the one <laughs> that he would have chosen um yes. you know for, for example and and certainly um you know larry williams as well um the first slowdown that you know they've had some of his songs in the back catalogue for a while and and lennon clearly seems to be a fan so you know there's, there's that sense not necessarily that what we're going to do is is do something fresh and original but that we're going to do something that shows just what big fans we are of of this kind of music but it's exactly at the point where other people are starting to say well, actually, we're massive fans of you, and we're now starting to play your songs. So maybe they just don't realise, or maybe they do, maybe they're just sort of conflicted, but it seems to me perhaps that they don't realise just how big they are, and that they are rapidly getting to the point where they have surpassed Little Richard, surpassed Chuck Perry, Carl Perkins, maybe not so much Elvis at this stage, but, but soon and that they don't need to play this game anymore. But, you know, if they're having fun, they're having fun. Um, and, you know, certainly McCartney is is having fun. No doubt about it. And I think that does also kind of bring us on to the discussion about, uh, you know, how much effort has been put into this EP, which is to say <laughs> not very much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you hear the energy and enthusiasm that this re- this recording of Long Tall Sally pretty much manages to capture, the increasing lack of of um, quality <laughs> as we go through this EP is, yeah. is 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 kind of thrown into starker relief simply by the fact that this one is the one that has. The drive and the energy that you really need to capture it whereas the other three songs in this ep simply sound knackered um and that sense that you know we need product we need product we need product you have to have this out you have to have this number of albums this number of singles now we're getting eps like you know it's it's the churn so at this point we haven't reached the stage where you think but it's the Beatles. Of course, it's going to sell. Like it doesn't matter if you wait a few months. It'd be better to wait. But that's that's not the logic of the record industry in 1964. Um, and and yeah. that's really conspicuous. In fact, I think it's the most conspicuous we've seen it since we started. So uh, to take a, um, I, th- I think one point that's worth noting is that McDonald um, says that they they did this in one take, and by heck, it sounds like they did it in one take. But to take a sort of a slight detour on that. The previous um, um, number one EPs, at least that the Beatles had, were basically regurgitating songs that the the fans could have got somewhere else in the mains. You've got the Twist and Shout EP, Beatles Hits. Um, there's in February '64, um, All My Loving, which also has Ask Me Why, Money, and P.S. I Love You. So random grab bag. Exactly, but even here, but at least here rather, we are getting um, for you know inverted commas new songs. Later in um, sixty four and sixty five, there'll be extracts from a hard day's night. So you know they're they're doing something at least new, 
in terms of the EP. So of, of all of those, and I think that's justification why we haven't discussed those previous EPs, um, because there isn't really anything new on it to, to shout about, whereas here there is. So at least if, in, if it is a cynical marketing exercise, it's not quite as cynical as some of the others, although I'm sure that they would be able to argue that, that releasing some of the songs in EP form was still cheaper than, than buying the, the LP. Um, but, you know, there, there may well be something in that. Um, but considering um, they were also a band who, in the main, didn't like to put singles on, uh, on albums, putting songs from the albums on EP does seem a little bit exploitative. But, you know, shrug your shoulders, move on. Um, so at least it is vaguely new product, and it was a vaguely new product that hit the top of the EP charts in July 1964 for a whole seven weeks, um, which is fun. Um, sandwiched between two EPs from the Rolling Stones, um, which is about as much as, as I think you really want to go into that, because the EP charts, whilst being out there, are sort of a separate and distinct thing and they're dead by, by 1967, really wasn't a huge number of EPs being released, and they only ever produced a top 10. But enough about that. Um, I think we should move on. I think Long Tall Sally is is into the long grass, as it were, and, and we can perhaps move on. So what comes next, of course, is the, the one Lennon-McCartney original on it. Although, of course, it's not really an original, is it? because it's uh, already been released as a B-side by Billy J. Kramer and his Dakotas, so it's not new in that sense either. It's new product, but not new product. Yeah, it's also a fairly difficult song to append the word original to as well, because it's a pretty derivative piece of work. Uh, like I said earlier on, it, it, it fits all too well into a lineup that includes Long Tall Sally, Slow Down and, and Matchbox. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny song. It's not one that I'm particularly i don't i don't mind it but it's it, it's another one where there's just a sense that the it's just like come on boys bang it out and let's move on with our lives there's there's not an awful lot of work which has been uh put into it and again like i mean none of the other three songs that follow long tall sally would be a good choice to follow long tall sally because none of them are are sort of close to that kind of quality but there's just a sense where like it's 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 okay. It's it's not bad. Um, like the middle eight is by far and away the best part of it. But the, it's just kind of sort of there. It's it's sort of fairly inconsequential. And that word might be one that I return to uh, a number of times as we work our way through this episode. However, I promised I would say something nice about every song, uh, and so I think it's fair to say, cowbell. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, I, I didn't mind the guitar solo on this. Yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad okay. yeah. I mean, it's slight. It's it's, it's very clearly slight. not been worked on very much, is it? The song has been around for a long time, but I think it, it, I get the feeling it was recorded because they had time in the studio and think, well, what have we got to record? Well, let's try this one and see how it works. They record it. It doesn't really work. Um, you know, it's another one of those... Uh, not quite self-loathing uh, lyrics, but that sense of why doesn't she love me? Um, one of, of um, Lennon's lyrics. There's some quirky change of pace in it, which which I quite like. Um, and 
I <laughs> so I like the end. The the end is great, but the the repetition of of um, the line um, "I call your name" um, to to that fade out, I think is is pretty effective. And, and maybe that was just sort of like the first go at what they were sort of doing with um, um, "I'll be back," but it it works. It's perfectly fine. Um, but I think. It's another one of those songs where it sort of shows that there wasn't a huge amount of love given to it in the studio. And it also shows, sorry, folks, yeah, me again, the, some of the limitations of Lennon's voice at this stage, because there's a version by the Mamas and the Papas, which actually, yeah, has kind of a slight honky tonk feel, but it's a sign of um, how a, a song can be transformed when the vocals are clear and, and I think it's Mama Cass on that who's who's doing um the, the lead vocals and she really hits those notes with a clarity that that helps elevate the song and you sort of start hearing things in it that you can't hear or I can't hear in the Lennon version because I'm a bit worried that he's not gonna hit all of those notes. Although I should say when it comes to, to the harmonies on the Mamas and the Papa song and it starts to sound really, really twee. But at some stage, I'm going to have a major rant about vocal harmonies in general. It's not going to be today, folks. Okay, well, give us but, something to look uh, forward to, though. I do think, yeah, the, 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 the basic point is that I think in the main, two or more people singing roughly the same thing at the same time is not the genius that everyone makes it out to be. Crosby, Stills and Nash, I'm looking in your direction. Okay, right, so... Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's it's perfectly fine. It's quite similar to the Billy J. Kramer and the Dakota version. I, it just doesn't feel like there's much enthusiasm for the Beatles to do anything with it. And it's interesting then to, to hear um, what someone can do with it when they, they have something like, you know, Mama Cass to add to it that, that they can't. Well, I think the fact that Lennon can't even summon up the energy to be self-pitying kind of says it all, really. Like, that's the one thing you can normally dependably rely on Lennon to be able to deliver. You know, if those are the goods, he's backing them up to the door. Um, but in this, there isn't even there isn't even that. There isn't that much commitment. I've been extremely rude about Billy J. Kramer on this podcast in the past, and with good reason, because, um, well, their version of Do You Want to Know a Secret is absolutely dreadful. Um, but honestly, their version of this is pretty much on a, on, on a par, um, which is more of an insult to the Beatles than a compliment to Billy J. Kramer. But yeah, there's just, there's, there's so little in this. And yeah, Lennon isn't summoning up much. There's just that, that sort of rather exhausted feeling. I, I do agree with you. I think the fade out is, is quite effective. I think, um, I think that works quite well. And I, I like the change of rhythm into uh, mm. as you go into the um, don't you know I can't take it. Again, some like quite understated, but some really effective kind of, um, you know, like solid bedrock work from Ringo there. Uh, so that's quite nice. That's that's a good little that's a good little move. But the song doesn't have like th that's it. That's like that's the one trick that this pony has. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's a sign that they hadn't worked in it when the the, the the end of the um say the opening verse for example you know that whole thing about i can't go on it just sort of has a, a kind of like a attempt at showbiz razzmatazz before then going into to the next section and now it sounds very much of its time which as previously said 
will really appeal to some people, but not necessarily to me. That's fine. They can listen to this kind of thing all they want. But the chances of me listening to this again deliberately after this is probably fairly remote and, and I'm probably not going to miss it. No, well, there's probably not that much to miss. But I mean, if the chances of you listening to this one, here comes a segue, is relatively Ooh. remote, what are, the, what are the chances of you ever listening to Slow Down, the next song on the EP? Hey, thank you. Done. That was beautifully done. Thank you. Right, okay, so I've got a rabbit hole to go down with this. All right. Okay, and, and, and you'll like this. It, it's going to take us um, all the way into the 2000s. Lovely. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I, I got onto a... I went down a bit of a Larry Williams rabbit hole, actually, and, and um, that's that's what happened with that one. Um, look, interesting things to point out, that the introduction on this is about 35 seconds, which I think has got to be the longest introduction to a song yet. Um, you know, about 35 seconds for the vocals to come in. Can you think of any any Beatles song up to this point that even comes close to that? Nothing. You know, normally it's like straight in, impact. Um, you know, let's get going. Um, I think the piano's fun on this. Um, and and I, I've typed on my notes here, guitar solo is perfectly fine. <laughs> ah, the biggest compliment of all, sufficient. <laughs> Yeah, and I've also put the Lennon is making some odd sounds, <laughs> which is true. But but the the before, you know, I'll, I'll mention one more thing, and and then you know see what you think before I go down my uh, my Larry Williams rabbit hole. Um, it it sort of reminds me, and and I was thinking about this because the previous episode, obviously, we talked about um, Hard Days Night film quite a lot, and and yeah, I think from memory. Um, obviously you've been doing the editing and, and as of our recording it's not been released yet so um, I mean not that even when it is released I'm, I'm going to listen to it but I feel like I've been a bit sort of harsh on Messrs, Sellers and, and Milligan for example well I was you know talking about the Running Jumping Standing Still film um, but I, I was you know a big fan of the goons when, when growing up they were a big influence and going somewhere with this don't worry um, I don't know how much of a Goon Show listener you were, but this song reminded me of the type of song that Ray Ellington would sing on the Goon Show. The Goon Show's always had two instrumental breaks. One was Max Geldre in his harmonica, which would always be where you'd press forward wind on the cassette. And then there would be um, Ray Ellington singing a song which would sound something vaguely like this. And again, that would be where you'd press forward. Um, on on the cassette and, and go past it, you know, try and time it for about one minute fifty nine, two minutes, um, you know. But the fact that it reminds me of that suggests that the playing on this is is what we would refer to as get your bingo cards out, perfunctory. Yes. How do you find it? Well, I think this is effortlessly the worst song on on the EP. Perfunctory seems like a compliment from what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's really poor. In, in in a way, I don't think that we've really seen before. We've had a few songs which haven't necessarily uh, hit the sweet spot. We've had a couple that we could be certainly plenty critical about, but I don't think that we have had anything which is sounded as exhausted and effort-free and just so 
I don't want to use the P word, but just it just it just exists for the sake of it. This really is just content. Um, the 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 little riff, the little dum 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 riff is just so weightless. There's nothing to it. It it's a, a, an unusually badly produced song, uh, which is not like George Martin at all. But even even he couldn't be harsh with this, and who could blame him? Quite frankly, it's just so slight and it's another one of those um it's another one of those songs where you, know, you said lennon makes some strange noises it's a very good example of a, a song where just yelping isn't the same as being able to put energy into <laughs> it it's just just you can't just go Ow! before you go if you want our love to last it's just no that's you're not fooling anyone it's, everyone sounds so exhausted everybody is clearly looking at the studio door and say can we please just go for a pint um you know it's it's so hard to find. I know I said I would find something. Um, I'm, I, I think part of the problem is, like you said, the 35 second intro, and that's by far and away the longest. I think that's absolutely true at this point. But I think also the fact that this song is a, almost a minute longer than everything else in the EP also just makes it feel like it drags. The other three songs are all within about 10 or 12 seconds of each other in terms of well, they're all around the kind of two minute mark. This this is... um. This is just too long, um, because that 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 dum 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 riff just has no weight to it. It just makes the whole thing feel like it's going on for even longer than it is. This is this is just fractionally under three minutes. All, and I said all the other ones are just just around the two minute mark. And boy, do you feel it when you're listening to it. And this is the only one of the four songs that they, or at least in this case George Martin returned to afterwards so everyone each of the other ones um you know long tall Sally call your name recorded done dusted first of March um yeah this matchbox done dusted first of June this one recorded on on the first of June but on the fourth of June um it looks like Martin um went back um and added the the piano um a few days later and maybe he'd listen to it and thought you know there's no oomph to it and there is no oomph to it you know mcdonald makes the point of saying that look you know mccartney seemingly forgot to turn his bass up and and you you can you can imagine that that, that would be the case you really can't hear very much going on on that um and it just sounds um weak in that respect um you know martin obviously thought i need to boost this i know what i'll do let's whack some piano on that's fine. Let's get um, um, Lennon to put some some double track vocal on. Um, but I was I was looking at um, doing some research on this, and the Beatlesbooks.com website has some very interesting details on there about the recording of this song, and it talks about the fact that Lennon's double tracking was so slack that even at one point in it, not only is he he he's sort of singing, he's actually harmonising with himself because he doesn't get the the notes right, but he even changes some of the words at one point as well. Um, and it says quite a lot that I didn't listen closely enough to to work out exactly where that was, um, which says something about the song, maybe something um, about me as well. But it's 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 one of those things that um, I, I think it shows the limitations of modern crowdsourcing um, um, website software. That um, according to Setlist uh, FM, it was only played live once by the Beatles, and that was at the, the Paris Theatre, London, 1963, which suggests it was a BBC recording. But MacDonald refers to it having been a regular in the the, um, the act from 60 to 62, 
but they'd not been near it. So there's some of that surprise that they were recording it at all because they'd not been near the song for well over a year. And it shows. It really does show. It really does. So in my quest to try and find something nice to say about this song, I haven't actually found anything. Um, so that's a bit of a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, you can really tell that, that uh, there's... I think it's a confidence thing in a way, and that that might well be the fact that they haven't played it yeah. for a very long time. There's the, the, there's a lack of commitment to it. Like, I Call Your Name isn't a great song, um, but, you know, like, they're... they're they're doing it, and and Long Tall Sally has has plenty of commitment to it. That's that's not the one thing. That's uh, sorry, that is the one thing it's not lacking. Um, but like even like even Ringo's symbols on this, they, it just sounds like static. It sounds like a detuned radio, you know. Um, it's 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 that's how bad the production is. And like George Martin listening to it and thinking, oh. I'll go back and add a piano to it because there's, 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 it's insubstantial. <laughs> now it's insubstantial, but also with a piano on it. It, does, it doesn't yeah, actually that's... add anything. And, and like, it's so, like, even George Martin can't quite pull this one out of the bag. That's how that, bad that's this me, is. That's me guessing his motivation. No, I mean, well, let's, I'm pretty, let's. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm but, pretty uh, sure you're right. So let's, let's, let's take that as a fair guess because, um, otherwise, you know, it would probably be, have been done there and then. But yeah, there's, there, there's nothing to this. So yeah, sure, stick a piano on it. Yeah, there's still nothing to it, but now also there's a piano. Um, it's, 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 it's not great, but come on, give us your, give us your Larry Williams rabbit hole. Well, okay, so... so I've got um, nothing else you know, to say about the song. No, it's fine, it's fine. It's, it's quite interesting. I mean, there's, there's some, some interesting information in um, Bob Stanley's Yeah, Yeah, Yeah um, about it. Um, so, so he had an ice cream bouffant, which is a lovely, uh, lovely description, and wrote character sketches. And, and that's sort of coming back to a, sort of a previous point. Um, oral cartoon strips about girls like Boney Maroney, um, who, quote, was as skinny as a stick of macaroni, um, Dizzy Miss Lizzie, which is the more famous one, and <clears throat> Short Fat Fanny. <laughs> okay, so less less well known these days for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and Stanley does say that that the the plan was that that he would sort of be the new Little Richard. He was groomed to be the new um, Little Richard. Um, he had a reasonably long career, but um, and and um, you know he seemed to be uh, turn out to be a bit of a hustler though. Um, going to quote Bob Stanley here for legal reasons he was a pimp and a drug dealer and allegedly once pulled a gun on Richard over a debt which I think was in 1977 so you know quite quite a way in in that respect but I, I sort of focused in on these um on some of these titles with like you know Dizzy um Dizzy Miss Lizzie, Boney Maroney um because Boney Maroney comes up elsewhere in Wilson Pickett's um, Land of a, a Thousand Dances, which is just the most amazing song and completely makes me look like a hypocrite, bearing in mind what I was, was talking about earlier. If, if dear listener, you, you, well, you do know A Land of a Thousand Dances, you may not know it from the title, but it is just absolutely awesome. Um, so we've got two separate songs that are referring to this character of Boney Maroney, presumably because of that that sort of you know half rhyme in there. It, it sort of seems to to be something that that trips off the tongue. Boney Maroney uh, crops up, and in order to demonstrate his love of Larry Williams, it crops up on side two of Lennon's Rock and Roll um, in the seventies. Um, but not, actually, not a great album. Uh, no, no, it's a bit difficult to say that it's a tribute to all of his influences, bearing in mind the, well, some people like it, 
okay let's let's leave that and and people will go oh well, stand by me was really good therefore the rest of it must be good if that's what they want to think that's perfectly fine um one thing that i put down here um is that actually to me the song sounds like it, it could have been an influence on the early beach boys it sort of has that feel in terms of the way it's written but it also to me sounds a lot like um summertime blues i mean we're talking about boney maroney here um Boney Maroney, here's where we go into the, the deep dive, referenced by Patti Smith and, and on horses in the song Land. And if I then was to sort of bring you forward a nearly 20 years and, and say the lyrics, I'll be Pounce Pony, phony Maroney to you, um, that should sort of set a little trigger in the back of your rem fanboy brain it, 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 to, uh, yeah it, it obviously falls to claim of course yes yeah, absolutely which, which I, I have to say is an absolutely stunning and an overlooked song in the rem back catalog couldn't agree and more brook, couldn't agree i was more. gonna say i'll brook no argument about that <laughs> um i absolutely love that so it, it, i don't know whether or not michael stipe was was referencing um patty smith most likely um Quite possibly, but there is that sort of line that's going through it. But actually, if, if you look up the, the lyrics to um, Land of a Thousand Dances, you'll find that actually there is some a little bit of similarity in there as well. I'm just going to sort of do live Googling, folks. Um, bear with me. Um, Land of a Thousand Dances lyrics. I thought I put this in the Google Doc, but I hadn't. Because in um, um, the, the first verse, it goes, Got to know how pony like bony maroney okay. so actually he seems to be drawing on um a lot more rock and roll history than michael snipe is actually um famous for really doing um so you know just just sort of a little little kind of sort of sense of of some of the influence of of larry williams there um which i think is worth knowing and therefore it's such a shame that what we get is is slow down there is apparently um you know sort of suggestion that at some point the beatles did record uh boney maroney or at least used to play it but i don't know if that actually exists or whether that's um you know maybe stuck in a in a shoebox somewhere in in, a, in the dakota building like lots of other things that possibly uh, some people might argue should stay in a shoebox in the Dakota building, but not me, not me. Good. I'm very much looking forward to all that that shoebox can bring. Excellent. I, I, I'm, I'm glad we've cleared up the, uh, the, the shoebox point. Yeah, uh, that's all really interesting. Um, what a shame, as you say, that that the the grand sum total of it is this piece of shit. <laughs> um, that's that's a bit of a shame. Um, I still haven't thought of anything nice to say about it. it we don't have to talk about it anymore. Does that count? No, can we fine. can we move that's on? <laughs> well, your your big target. Bear in mind, the last episode was was an hour and a half. Was was maybe five minutes on each song, and we've hit about forty five minutes. Yeah, so we're doing far. all right. So that's what that does mean is is that we can actually be really really brief about Matchbox, which is fine. Um, so, but then Matchbox allows me to to make reference to to Tug of War. Okay, so well we're going to have to go with do. it. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're going to do. We want. We always love a tug of war reference in this podcast we're a very pro tug of war <laughs> podcast um but yeah um matchbox is matchbox is a bit of a weird one it's not it's not good by any conventional standards sorry everyone um uh, but at the same time like, I, I definitely prefer it over uh slow down and i might prefer it over i call your name i i like to hear ringo do things that isn't just cod country and western so it's yeah. it's quite nice to hear him doing something which is a bit kind of more 
uh, kind of rhythm and blues, a bit more rockabilly. Um, and his voice is quite well suited to it. It's, like, it's a very flat vocal performance. There's not a lot of, I mean, you know, bless him, it's a Ringo vocal. There's not a lot of range to it. Um, but it's quite, I quite like the way that it's delivered. And I really like the way that his voice is produced on it. Uh, it's a double vocal with the, the main vocal at front and then the, the secondary vocal pulled back slightly with some, some reverb on it that's quite a nice effect that works quite well with his voice and it's quite unusual um you know he's normally his voice is produced quite quite dry but this is this is got that, that little reverb there it's it's quite nice and the instrumentation is all very i don't know if it's been it feels like it's been stuck through a compressor or a limited or something but it's almost oppressive and again that's quite an unusual characteristic to get like ringo tends to get like the light songs like act naturally or you know all that kind of stuff it's you know it, it tends to even boys i suppose uh but you know it's it, it's unusual to have him in that kind of role so i quite like even if it's not necessarily a great song in and of itself which it isn't it's quite nice to see at least Ringo being pushed in a direction that we don't often get him to. Uh, we get we don't often get to see him be in. So that's my nice thing about Matchbox. Well, bearing in mind one of the key considerations is whether or not a Matchbox will hold my clothes. I, I think one of the questions I've got is what size of Matchbox are we talking about here? Well, what size of person are we talking about here? Well, I'm more interested in the size of the Matchbox. Fair enough. Um, um, and will um let me let well let me be your little dog till your big dog comes um you know it's it's fine it's um um it's fun they clearly had fun um we know don't we that that george harrison in particular was a big fan of uh, of carl perkins yeah yeah absolutely um and and so there's that affection there and of course carl perkins was in town and maybe they they specifically recorded this because they invited him along to the studio or whether there was some sort of coincidence there i don't know but it almost feels a little bit like it's motivation um but it again it just feels to me like the epitome of what the beatles had, had started to leave behind with a hard day's night and it doesn't sound great compared to other songs on the ep let alone other beatles covers so maybe they had fun in the studio uh, maybe carl perkins had a, had a great time but it doesn't amount to anything substantial and and it's just you know, you can sort of look at a whole history of um, of popular music where someone has got together with a hero and produced a song and you sort of think, okay, well, that's great. That might be quite interesting to have a listen to. And it actually turns out that it isn't, you know, it's fine. It's, it's just people who are successful, who like each other, like each other's music, getting together, having a bit of fun um, and then you know, releasing it for us to join in the rollicking fun. And they had fun, and I'm very happy for them. Um, and that's where we go. And, of course, Tug of War works because, um, of course, you've got um, McCartney and Carl Perkins doing um, Gotta Get It. Gotta Get It, and you've got to get it good. Which, again, is is fun. It's not particularly substantial, and I don't think it's it's intended to be substantial. But it is, again, to, to use another um, JG-ism, it's a thing that happened. And, and you know, we, we were grateful for the fact that it happened and the people involved had a great time and that we can share in them having the great time. Okay. Well, is that quite. positive enough for you? 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fine. Excellent work, good stuff. Um, I I'd rather like uh, uh, gotta get it. I think it's a rather good song. Um, yeah. But you know, yeah. it's 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 a, it's a Carl, Carl Perkins pastiche with Carl Perkins on it. It's a it's a it's a curious choice in 1982, but you know, fine, it it, it works well, and it definitely does work better than Matchbox, where there is a sense that the fun doesn't quite make it past the speaker grill. Um, it's it's nice that everyone enjoyed it, but yeah, for all the for all the nice things that I was are trying to say before um it's still it's pretty insubstantial piece of work all around but again unlike yeah unlike the the the, the predecessor in the ep you know it doesn't hang around it's it's it does its two minutes and it, it buggers off again and that's okay fine that's okay you know and if, if it was any longer i think it would rapidly become insufferable i suppose the only other question to ask about it is one that we did pose on the previous episode is you know we've, we've said that long tall sally seems to be the the best fit of the four in terms of what could go on um hard day's night because it would be a natural closer of course this gives us a ringo vocal and that's the one thing that is missing from from a hard day's night but it's difficult to make a case that this ringo vocal ought to be on um ought to be on the album oh no i would never make that case definitely not no um i i i i know that when we were talking about the album i said that uh you know like ringo's vocal might not be on uh hard day's night but he's an abs he's really the mvp of that that album he's he's astonishingly good on on a hard day's night but this i guess this is the flip side we get the vocal here it probably wasn't up to scratch that's fine you know it all worked out for the best absolutely yeah well, that seems like a, a decent place to um um to maybe draw a veil over this because I, I sure as heck haven't got anything to uh, um, to add to that wonderful way of finishing. Excellent, lovely. Well, we're really uh, we're really going out on a high, or are we? Because we do still have to give these songs a score and the EP a or score we? as well. Oh yes, we do, sir. Yes, <laughs> do we, we do. So let's just quickly run through them in sequence. So, long tall Sally. Um, I think that's going to be um, the best of the bunch, which I'm going to give a five to. Five. Okay, I'm going to give Long Tall Sally a six. Uh, I I don't know why. Um, I call your name. Um, it, it's it's threes for the rest for me. Um, but then partly that partly that is in line with with some reevaluation of some of the previous scores that I'm going to give. So it seems like it's drastically lower than a lot. But I am going to pull some of those previous scores down at a later stage. Uh, but yeah, three three seems um, fair considering the amount of effort that's gone into them. Okay, fair enough. So three, three, and a three. I'm going to give I call your name four. I'll give slow down two, and I feel like I'm being quite generous there. Um, mm. And matchbox of oh, three. Okay, good. Uh, Long tall Sally EP overall. Um, let's average out at um um three point three three three. Oh no, let's 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 go for a very generous four. Four. Let's let's do four. Okay, that 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 does sound generous. All right, well we've done it. We have managed to stagger our way through uh the Long Tall Sally EP. Any final thoughts? No. Well, actually, yes. Um, and because um. As as we may have mentioned, I, I know if you follow me on Twitter as well, I've mentioned this as well. So I had a um an illness recently and what that's meant is that that my plans of um, visiting some beetle sites in uh new york on the summer trip have been been kiboshed so instead um we're going to um southern north wales if that makes sense 
um, and actually I've, I've sort of started looking up some um, interesting places to go that have Beatles connections. So I'm going to be going to places like Harlech and Port Merion anyway, maybe even Bangor. Um, and and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start doing a bit of Beatles tourism for my sins, um, which which would be a bit fun. So that's that's something to look out for. And I'm sure, as you'll say, uh, you'll refer to in a minute, at some point, maybe in early August, um, I will be blogging some embarrassing pictures of standing somewhere where George Harrison once did an interview for Anthology and things like that. Well, that sounds delightful. We'll look forward to your trip updates. That'll be that'll fanboy, be fanboy, fanboy, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant additional contact uh, content for which we will all be extremely grateful. Right, lovely. Let's end this nonsense now. Okay, you can really get a hold of us. We can be contacted by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog uh, about music, TV, popular culture, just whatever the hell I feel like writing about uh, at www.jgmacquarie.scot. And as Andrew mentioned, you can find his writing at www.stuffology.co.uk. Also, please check out my other podcast because we really, really need listeners. Uh, it's Talking Trek to You, uh, where a noob and an expert, which is me, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you are using uh, so that more people can find the show. Next episode, uh, we'll be moving into singles territory, which means we are going to be talking about I Feel Fine. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then... Keep listening.